0: We support a, a, a ministry in Thailand that helps get girls out of prostitution. Uh, prostitution is one of the largest uh, financial endeavors in Thailand, and there's this group and they go in and they, they actually help these girls get out of prostitution by uh, giving them a place to live, teaching them skills, how to do some other things other than prostitution. And so we are sending another team of ladies there uh, in January, so the garage sale is going to help fund that trip to get them there, so... Okay, uh, CTV, so, you know, here's here's the posters and, and stuff. I'm sporting the colors, you know, like, woo, go me. All right, so I'll show you a couple pictures of CTV that happened this week. Wait, here's one. It's a food fight. Seriously, I mean, how many kids love to have a food fight with their parents? And they got to have it here. Okay, so here's another one. He's just so happy. I was like, got to put that up. Okay, so here's another one. So this is kind of funny. Out here, we had this 60-foot-long obstacle course, and at the end, you got slimed, which was just fun. So I didn't get slimed. I ran away at the end, so I didn't get slimed. But anyway, so at the end, you had this thing, and we actually got slime all over it, and the guy who rented it to us was really angry. (laughs) Oops. Okay. So anyway, here's another one. He's just like waiting for it. And this is is one of the coolest shots that, that we had right here. See, look at all the fun you missed out on. Have some kids. Come to the, you know. Why don't you guys stand on the arena God's Word. It's Isaiah chapter 12, verse 5, and it says this. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we finish the book of John, I ask that you would come and you would instruct us on what you want us to learn in this last chapter. Uh, that it would be you that we leave this place serving and worshiping and the world will know who you are by how your kids live amen have a seat so as i said we are finishing the gospel of john if you've been here the whole time woo, good for you we've been in it for like a year so pass your bibles around and sign them like your books <laughs> my my wife was gonna make a cake <laughs> she'll make a cake and put it in the back as we're done it's it's like you're graduating. It's been a good year, so there you go. Uh, we looked at the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and now John concludes his gospel by telling us certain things. In John chapter 20, the, the last chapter before the end, he writes this in verses 30 and 31. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, and got a Harley, apparently, uh, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John writes his gospel so that we would be a people who understand that Jesus is God and that we would have life in his name. This is eternal life. Eternal life is not just something that happens after you die. It's, It's not just living forever. It is God's life flooding into our present, into our now, transforming us and changing us so we live in a state of being that then goes on forever. Eternal life. God's life flooding into the present. And so what we have studied are things that are to be believed and things that are to be actually be lived out in our lives. And today what you will see is that after you believe, okay, after you have faith in Christ, there is still work to be done. In Christianity today, sometimes you get preached this whole gospel that says Jesus is the finish line. You believe and then you're done. You know, that's it. You believe and you have your fire insurance and it's all over. But that's not true. It is not true. Some people say, well, I'm a Christian, so there we go. I've got it. I can get on with my life. No, that's not how it works. John tells us in chapter 21 that after we believe, then there is work for us to do. Now we get to participate in the work that God is doing in the world. What does the next 10 to 60 years look like, depending on how old you are? Well, it's lived in walking in step with Him. Uh, turn to John chapter 21 because that's where we're going to be. As you're turning there, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, I'm not saying that that you know faith and belief is important. They are primary, but that is not all. We live this out. If you think that you know faith and belief is all then you've kind of missed the point of the whole deal christianity has to move from the head to the heart to your hands and we flesh that out in our daily living so in light of what we believe and what god has done what do we do john chapter 21 here we go uh, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's actually Galilee. In Matthew 28, Jesus indicates that this is where he would meet his disciples and rendezvous with them. So it happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So it's like a family affair. That's great. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then a disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, and I'm sure they were very happy that Peter left them to do all the work themselves, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire, of burning coals with there with fish on it and some bread. So apparently they can't catch fish, but Jesus can, because. He's Jesus. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Some of Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, because apparently John counted. Uh, But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is actually the, the seventh appearance of jesus but he does this on three different occasions at one time jesus appears five times in one day john takes that and he says that's one appearance because it all happens within one day now what i want to focus on just a little bit here there's this verse in here and it says this none of the disciples dared ask him who are you do you know how many people skip over this verse? i read dozens and dozens of commentaries and everybody just looks at this verse and they run away from it they're like Everybody's afraid of it, and I, and I really have no idea why. No one knows what to do with it. You know, it's bizarre, but, you know, i got a take on everything, so I'll give you my take on this. You keep up with me. It'll be really interesting if you follow all the way to the end of this. Uh, the meal and them calling him Lord, these two things actually go hand in hand. The Hebrews have a very rich and a very deep history that they are all a part of. Now, on the surface, this kind of reads like a recognition scene. You know, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Yet Jesus already was recognized by John before Peter dove out of the boat like a high school kid at the swim meet, you know. You know, some people have said this is a contradiction because there's two different recognition scenes. There's, there's one with John, you know, in, in verse seven. Then there's this one here. And so this is a contradiction because it's two different stories that they put together and it doesn't make sense. And so there you go. Your Bible's not true. Your faith is in vain. You know, blah, 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 whatever. That's not actually true. In verse 12, why did the disciples hesitate in questioning Jesus? It says, because they knew it was the Lord. Okay, the Lord. In verse 7, John the disciple recognized from the boat that the stranger on the shore was the risen Jesus. But this appears to be a spiritual insight following this miraculous catch of fish because Jesus has done this before. It is not a. This is a perception, a spiritual perception that this is Jesus because of what has just happened. In verse 7, it says that Peter plunged into the sea after he heard that it was Jesus, not because he could see. It's faith versus sight. It appears that the disciples were not actually able to get a good look at Jesus until they got the boat to the shore. Now, we might you know, suppose that this would have been enough to clear up any doubts when they get there, but even there, there's something in the appearance of the arisen Jesus which is different enough to make recognition a little bit difficult. You know, in John chapter 20, verse 15, Mary Magdalene did not immediately recognize Jesus, thought he was a gardener. You know, in John chapter 20, verse 19, when he appears to the disciples, Jesus first has to show his hands and his feet and the, and the marking aside before they realize that it was actually Jesus. Jesus resurrected form looks a little bit different as ours will probably look. If you are, you know, 80 years old and you walk around with a walker, you know, you're not going to spend eternity going and walking around going, "Oh, I love heaven. You know, it's the greatest place ever." You know, you're not going to you're going to have a resurrected body that's going to be different. It will be, you know, Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. He raises from the dead God, you know, and all of a sudden he has this resurrected body which looks a little bit different. You know, infants who, who die. I don't think in heaven they're going to be infants forever. I think that God puts them in a resurrected form that is complete. And so I think that's kind of what this is. Now, there's also a greater factor to consider in what is taking place. When John gives the reason for the disciples' hesitancy about asking Jesus, it doesn't say because they knew it was Jesus. It says because they knew that it was the Lord. This is very important. Mary Magdalene had announced to the disciples not that she had seen Jesus, but that she had seen the Lord in John chapter 20, verse 18. When Jesus is recognized by the disciples, it says they rejoiced when they saw the Lord in John 20, 20. The climax is reached when you see Thomas in John 20, 28, and he exclaims, My Lord and my God. Now, the Greek word used for Lord here, uh, it, it is... it is it there there's a jewish there's a greek translation of the old testament okay this this translation is called the septuagint and the septuagint is so people in jesus day who only read greek could actually read the old testament every place it says the lord in the in the hebrew old testament they translated it with this word used lord for jesus in greek Okay, So all of a sudden you start to realize that everywhere it says Yahweh, they translate it as Lord. And all of a sudden now in John's gospel, in Greek, when they are speaking about the risen Jesus, they start to call him Lord, the same word. In John 8, 8 28, Jesus prophesies, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Referencing Exodus 3, 14, where Jesus, where God says, my name is, I am. So Jesus is saying, I am God. And when I am lifted up, you will know. The disciples now call him Lord and they believe that he is God. The weariness of the disciples is understandable because if they now knew themselves to be in the presence of God, their hesitancy is a little bit understandable. Now, this all goes together also with the meal. Again, the Jews have a very rich and a very deep heritage. Meals are very important then and now in the Middle East. Jesus used meals in parables. He told a lot of stories and taught over many meals. When Jesus sent out his disciples earlier in Mark 6, 8, he says, Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. So Jesus wasn't telling them to have miracles sustain them. In that culture... People, especially rabbis, disciples, would have been warmly welcomed in any villages that they went into. This is a land without police, without social welfare, without insurance agencies and insurance companies. And so mutual dependence upon each other was key to their survival. Community is essential, is essential. And at the end of the day, a family or sometimes even a whole village would get together and celebrate a meal together. J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings, he writes this, If more people valued food, cheer, and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. Yes, it would. In the Middle East, uh, when enemies would come together, when, when one had wronged another, when one sinned against another person, and these two enemies would come together at a table, they would dine together, and at that table, having a meal, it was saying that they were putting all their hostility behind them, and they were covenanting now to live as friends or sometimes even as family. Uh, In Genesis chapter 31... You have a guy named Jacob, and Jacob uh, lives with his uncle Laban, basically in slave labor for a whole lot of years. And so he takes uh, Jacob takes his couple wives, which were Laban's daughters, and his kids, and a whole bunch of sheep, and he goes running away. And Laban gets mad. He sees this as a as an offense to him. So Laban grabs his hired men and he goes after Jacob. And when they finally meet, they hash this out. And when they get done going through it, they sit down and they have a meal and they covenant together to be family. Okay? Now keep your finger in the book of John. And I want you to flip to the book of Exodus, chapter 24. In Exodus 24, what you see is one of the most amazing meals of all time. And most people don't even know that it's actually there. It happens on the top of a mountain just after Moses receives the covenant okay, on Mount Sinai. This is where God promises, again, to restore relationship with his people. Covenant is about relationship. It bonds people in friendship, like marriage. So Exodus 24... Verse 9 says this, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. Now, most of the time when people saw God face-to-face, in the Old Testament, this was the Word. This was uh, Jesus. The Word becomes flesh and becomes Jesus. These men ate and drank with God. Scripture teaches that no one can see God in His true essence and live, yet these men ate and drank with God happily because just like a Middle Eastern host who protects his guests, so God protected these men in His presence. Before the Israelites broke covenant with God, they had a restored relationship with God again, shared over a meal. Okay? Now, this view of a meal with God is woven throughout all of Scripture, especially in the idea of Passover. You know, in every Passover sacrifice, you would eat the Passover meal, symbolizing that God was eating this meal with you. Every year, after Passover instituted, they eat this meal up until jesus the passover lamb comes in the flesh jesus on mount sinai has a meal with the leaders of the israelites instituting a covenant with his people now in instituting his new covenant jesus again commissions his men over a meal just as he did earlier with the leaders of israel he does this now with his apostles the leaders of his church it's an amazing similarity. I mean, again, history. Uh, the, most Jewish kids were taught the Torah. They would memorize the Torah. Probably every single one of Jesus' disciples had the entire first five books of the Bible memorized. And this would be very fresh in their memory. And they realize Jesus is God, and he just made us a meal, just like God made a meal for the leaders of Israel. It would be very fresh in their mind. And that's probably why they're sitting there going, Oh, my goodness. This is amazing. Much ministry, I'm not being sarcastic, finds itself taking place over meals, hospitality, breakfast. This is practically loving each other. So they have this meal. Jesus is on the shore. He died. He rose. They're like, this is an amazing calling that we are now being given. It's a bit overwhelming. They don't know what to say. So they wait for Jesus to start. And what does Jesus want to do? He wants to talk to Peter. Because in order for his leadership to be whole, he needs to bring Peter back in because Peter had denied Jesus three times as predicted by Jesus, and he was a coward. He was afraid he might die just like Jesus. And so people ask him, do you know Jesus? He says, no, I don't know the man. I I don't know who he is. Even denied it to a teenage servant girl who couldn't get him in trouble even if she wanted to. So he denies Jesus. And now Jesus must reinstate Peter to make his disciples whole. Now this is good news for you and I because we are all a people at some point we have or will deny Christ in our lives, and Jesus comes as his kids and brings us back into his arms as he promised to do in the book of John we will sin we will fail we will walk away and disbelieve and Jesus brings Peter back in front of other men this validates Peter's reinstatement because Peter will need this authority to actually lead the disciples. He needs to be dealt with publicly as many leaders probably should be dealt with. And he brings Peter to godly sorrow which brings repentance. Second uh, Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death. So Jesus brings him to repentance and talks to him. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And this could refer to the people he denied him in front of or it could refer to the other disciples it could refer to anybody. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, you may have heard this before, but there are actually different words being used between Jesus and Peter. In English, we just use the word love, but here in the Greek text, there's actually different words that take place. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you agape me? Okay, he says, do you agape me? This is, this is deep devotion, deep commitment. This is in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. That's the word agape. This is a type of love that God has for the world and he wants us to have for each other. Do you agape me? He's asking Peter about the depth of his commitment and his love. And Peter responds with, I phileo you. Hey, this is like bro- brotherly love. You know, I really like you. You're my friend. You know? And Jesus says, no, it's got to go deeper than that. Do you really love me? You know? And Peter says, you know, uh, yeah, I, 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 I really like you. And Jesus is like, no, th- this, this is love. And so Jesus turns to Peter the last time and he basically says, do you even care for me? Do you even care for me? And Peter says, you know that I do. You know that I do. And his heart becomes broken. As Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And this is the heart and the crux of where Peter's whole ministry is going to be built after this. Does he love Jesus? And that comes down to you and I as well. Christianity. One question is this, do you love Jesus? If you do, that will transform the way you live your entire life. Peter doesn't get off with mental assent or simple devotion or friendship. Jesus presses Peter and it breaks his heart. As often, God has to break our hearts, especially as leaders, if there to be any good. We must have a broken heart before him. Hearts must be broken over sin and folly before Jesus. I mean, these guys, your teacher asks you to pray, you fall asleep. In his darkest moment, you deny him. You know, Peter's breaking leads his entire life to be transformed. And he becomes the leader he is supposed to be. It doesn't mean Peter still isn't a knucklehead, because he is, okay? He's a knucklehead. But after God just made him breakfast, he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says yes. And if you notice, every time he says, do you love me, the next thing after Peter says yes is Jesus says, then do something. Then do something. He says, feed my sheep. Biblically, love is action. Love is action. Love is demonstrative. Just like a husband loves a wife, a husband is supposed to do things for their wife that shows that they love them. A parent to a child, you're supposed to do things to show your child that you love them. Love is not, oh, I love you in this invisible place that nobody ever sees. Love is loving in the visible places, in things that you do. It is acting those things out with hands and life and strength, with emotions, with practicality. Peter is called to be a pastor to people. He will counsel and teach and encourage and care for them and feed them. Peter is pressed by Jesus to stop thinking solely about himself and start thinking about those Jesus cares about. If you love me, think about other people if you care for me care for someone else look to the needs of other people that's what he says the essence of loving jesus is not selfish consumption with a tidy little life where you get your theology together and your family together and your church figured out and your friends figured out and your job all figured out our goal is to be like abraham who is called to be a blessing to bless the world around him And because Peter becomes broken, he truly receives this. And then Jesus tells Peter what it's going to cost him. It's something that none of us want to know, how we're going to die, because I don't want to know how I'm going to die. Verse 18, it says, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. I think it's cool that we can glorify God even in our death. Then he said to him again, follow me. So Peter's got to be like, uh, so if I love you, obey you, uh, do I get success and money and easy living? No, you get crucified. Oh, great, that, that's wonderful. That doesn't sound like victorious Christian living to me. <laughs> you know, it's, that's not how it works. It sounds painful. You know, I thought I was supposed to love Jesus and live in the suburbs and, and get rich. That, that's not how it works. He will use you to bless other people. And we know from history that Peter was crucified but did not see himself worthy to be crucified with Christ, so he got crucified upside down. You know, If, if you're a young person here, uh, you know, you may say, well, I want to be in ministry someday. If you call yourself a believer, you are in ministry. Okay, you are. That's it. You're already in it. You're doing it. Uh, imagine this job description. Jesus will rebuke you. He will break you publicly. Uh, then you're not uh, called to think about yourself, you know, and you'll be crucified. Great. I love that job description. Service in ministry is not a big, sexy thing. You know, there are these things called uh, church job fairs. And they'll take kids from Christian colleges or from churches and you go to these church job fairs and they'll say, these are all the jobs you can have in a church. Aren't they so wonderful? Right? It's crazy. I'm telling you. Do you know, not, you go to one of these things and not one of the booths in these places say uh, poverty and martyrdom. You know? they like, ooh, that sounds sexy. Sign me up for that. You know? There is there, not one booth in this entire place that says this because it's all, oh, you want this job. Oh, it'll be so much fun. You'll say. But no. God calls us to be a people that many times have to suffer for His name. You know, the... Okay, whatever. We don't get to live in the suburbs, okay? Uh, Peter accepts his life as we are to accept the life God calls us to. Uh, And now this is kind of cool. At the very end of John's Gospel, you get a little bit of comedy. Uh, You see John's sense of humor, God's sense of humor, Jesus' sense of humor. I think much of Scripture is actually very funny. Uh, It could be my sense of humor. I don't know. Sometimes I laugh at things, and you guys just look at me cross-eyed, and I'm like, okay, maybe it's not funny. But Scripture teaches God is funny, and then he laughs at us. Like if we go to the mall at Christmas, and people wear those ugly Christmas sweaters, and we laugh at them, God laughs at us too because we're like people in funny Christmas sweaters. Okay, So Jesus now, he, he mocks Peter just a little bit. You know, Christianity is like it is fellowship, following Jesus, suffering at times, and making fun of each other. Okay, that, That's ministry. You know, who makes fun of you? Your friends, right? Your friends make fun of you. We, you know, we try not to mock complete strangers, at least to their face, because then that gets in trouble. You know, but we do mock our friends, and, and, it's, and it's cool. I, I make fun of you solely because I love you. Okay? So that, that's how that works. Jesus has a very deep moment with Peter. He says, do you love me, then follow me. Okay, now I get to make fun of you, Peter. This, this is great. So I think you know relationships are healed and back to where they're supposed to be when you can actually joke and laugh at each other, just like Jesus. Scriptural. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John. Okay. John and Jesus are are intertwined. John is like Jesus' kid brother. And this I I think Peter might see John, you know, as like a mama's boy, always gets it good, wears sensible shoes, he's clean shaven, you know, that kind of. So he's following uh, them. This was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? So Peter's getting crucified and he's like, Okay, I'm gonna get crucified. What about him? What's, what's that guy going to get? It's like a kid getting spanked. Oh, what about them? He gave me the candy. You know, something like that. You know, John and Peter are different. When, when they go to arrest Jesus, you know, Peter pulls out a sword and, like, chops off a guy's ear. John holds a little prayer rally to try and restore the guy. You know, the different guys. But Peter becomes the leader of leaders. And Peter's like, I'm going to be crucified. It sucks if it happens alone. So give me something to go. How about John? Send John with me. Yeah, that, that, that'll be great. Verse 22, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So you're gonna get crucified either way, you know. What is it to you, Peter? You know, and who knows? I just might let him live forever. <laughs> you see the sarcasm? It's great. It's awesome. you know, And Peter's like, great, John gets to be 25 his entire life. I get crucified. Now, some people take Jesus totally serious here. You know, legalists take everything seriously. You know, there's sarcasm and irony in Scripture. You've got to go with that. The Bible is true. God is true. But God likes to use irony and sarcasm. Many theologians don't get that, and they spend hours, you know, how will John live forever? What does this look like, you know? Verse 23, because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. Now, did Jesus say he wouldn't die? No, he was mocking Peter. It's like if I said I'll be there in a second and I'm there five minutes later and you go, you're late. You're mocking me. That's okay. You're allowed to do that. But Jesus did not say he would not die. John's like, I was there. I'm very old when I'm writing this, so I know. Uh, He only said if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? That's all. Stop making a big deal out of it. It's just Jesus being sarcastic. See, the, the New Testament church, it is centered around Jesus loving him, being an intimate relationship with him, suffering for his cause, correcting false teaching, and mocking each other. It's, it's beautiful. You know, I, We need to be a people who help out those who are a little uptight, give them a little bit of sense of humor, lighten up ministry. That's ministry. Verse 24. This is a disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. I don't think that's an exaggeration at all, actually. If we were to write out all the implications of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, we wouldn't have the space to contain it. So that's another thing that ministry actually is, looking at all the things about Jesus and sifting through to teach those things that are most essential. You know, breaking of bread, friendship, reconciliation, humor, love, sifting through all that could be said for that which should be said. Those are the seedlings of the New Testament church. Now, for Peter... I just I love Peter, so I'm going to go back to this guy for a minute. You know, this is the moment that changed and defined his life, this meal, what took place where Jesus reinstates him. Till now, Peter is just a loud mouth who tried to boss Jesus around. He bragged a lot. He is impetuous. He's a coward that buckled, but he changed, as we all can. When it comes to the book of Acts, the very next book, you see Peter doing things that if you just looked at his life in the book of John, you would never believe this is the same guy. He's completely different. He preaches to the masses. He goes from being scared of a teenage girl to preaching the truth boldly to everyone. Proclaims Jesus to people as the leader of the disciples. And at Pentecost, 3,000 people believe and follow. He is a different guy. Peter is responsible for the gospel going to many other nations and cultures. Up until this time, there is a sense of racism among God's people, not God but God's people the thought that you had to participate as a Jew, circumcision, the feast, dietary laws. People from other cultures had to conform to this narrow cultural pathway to worship God. And then in Acts 10, God gives Peter a dream and he tells him, I love all nations of the earth. I love all people. I want you to go tell all people the gospel. Everybody, everybody. And that means you're going to have to change, Peter. And the Jews are going to have to change. And so Peter then goes to a guy named Cornelius who is not a Hebrew and teaches him the good news and teaches him the gospel and his whole family believes. And we are a people who are also from that proclamation as well. We are not Abraham's descendants, most of us. But we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because God worked through Peter, a changed guy. God enables Peter to heal. You know, the disciples are are all messed up, and so Peter oversees the process of Matthias replacing Judas, and Peter heals the disciples. Uh, In Acts chapter 3, Peter heals a man, and 2,000 people come to faith. It's amazing. Peter speaks boldly now for the cause of Christ. The religious leaders are totally mad at Peter and John, and they arrest them and say, Stop talking about Jesus, or you're going to suffer, and you're going to be persecuted. And Peter's like, I know crucifixion for me <laughs> you know, it's like jesus told me i can't get around that's all i got i can't get, and in acts 419 peter says judge for yourselves whether it is right in god's sight to obey you rather than god we're going to obey god do what you want to us there's a boldness that comes upon peter because of his face-to-face interaction with jesus and the gospel and it changed his life completely that is peter He believed that all people should hear the gospel no matter how hard it was to get it to them. This is because, again, of his face-to-faith with Jesus. He's a different guy. And Peter was never perfect, but there's a humility in him now. He was completely different. In Galatians chapter 2, Peter is again being a knucklehead. And Paul confronts Peter. Again, you know, Peter is the leader of the disciples. He lived with Jesus, first pastor to lead God's sheep. Most men... Pastors, especially, we don't take rebuke very well, you know. But Paul walks up to Peter and he says, you're wrong. You need to change. And Peter, in humility, accepts it. And he changes. Even now, in sin and error, he becomes humble. He is a completely different guy. Peter is not that impressive in the Gospels, but what changes him is Jesus. You know, Jesus loves him. He loves Jesus back, and that made him a new man. God uses him in a way that we would never imagine. You know, some of you are from Peter's legacy. Some of you guys are. You know, you've had a terrible past and no one would ever think that God could use you in the way that he is for his glory. But he is. But he is. You know, maybe some of you are living a terrible life and you think there's no way God could use you. Well, you're wrong. You're completely wrong because he can, because he is bigger and better and more powerful than you. Peter, in his life, he comes to this place. As a seasoned pastor, he writes two books of the New Testament with a heart for people. And he writes about what is primary talked about this last week, what is primary. First Peter 1, 17 to 21. I just want you to listen to this, okay? He says this, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Now, up until this point, Peter has feared everybody except God, okay? Jesus rises from the dead, he talks to him, and all of a sudden everything changes. Now, Peter only fears God. It's very easy for you and I to live in fear of people's opinions, but we should only fear and live in reverence of God. God, he says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, that's Jesus, you believe in God, that's faith, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. What you see is that Peter preaches the same gospel that John preached his entire book. And that is faith in Jesus, participation in his life, never looking back but going forward to where he calls us to go. And so if you have been comforted by God, then you comfort other people. If you have learned anything by studying the scriptures, you give that to other people. When God is poured into you, you pour back out as well into other people. Because you were created by God to be a blessing to other people. To glorify him and be a blessing. And what activity did Jesus do to start this whole process? Breakfast. Breakfast. Okay? You don't have to overcomplicate this at all. Okay? I want to be in ministry. Good. Serve breakfast to somebody. Okay? There you That's how Jesus did it. You know? You say, well, I'm not a good speaker and I can't do this. Great. Can you cook? No. Can you buy Pop-Tarts? <laughs> can you Can you put Eggos in a toaster and not burn them? You know? I mean, for dudes. You know? Every guy who can't cook and at least barbecue. It's like the dude oven. You know? <laughs> barbecue. You don't overcomplicate the kingdom. Much ministry is simply done over meals. You have someone over, you break bread with them, you pour into them as Jesus has poured into you, just like you poured into Peter. And we become different people. We come to communion okay, every week because communion, this is representative of a meal, the meal of God having food with us, God sharing his meal with us. This is you know, representative of Jesus' body, which was broken for us, and his blood, which was shed for us. And so God comes, and as we come up here, we, we participate in a meal, just like the Middle Eastern culture, where God sits down with us and says, Yes, everything is wiped clean. We have a covenant. We are friends again. Communion is amazing of all that it represents. Passover lamb dying and rising for us to bring us into relationship with God again so we're going to worship God through communion we're going to worship God through song the band's going to come up you know, and, and as they do you're free to take communion uh, you know, you're free to pray in your seat like God who do you want me to serve breakfast to or lunch or dinner or whatever uh, we're going to worship God through giving there's offering boxes on the side wall and in the very back of the room and we're going to worship God through fellowship where you guys get to hang out and get to know each other a little bit. So as a family, we can be reconciled to God together. Uh, but lastly, um, you know, we worship God through prayer. And if you're a guy in, in this room, I, I will tell you this. Uh, I kind of thought about how I wanted to end this entire book of, of John today. And so this is kind of what I want to do. Uh, the world needs guys. It okay, uh, needs elders and deacons and ministers, and it needs a lot of them. Okay? If you are 15 to 100 years old, I hope your goal is to aspire to some sort of leadership, whether it's an element or whether it's in your home or whether it's at your job and your family, some sort of leadership. And ladies, I, I, I don't want you, you know, to, to take this wrong, but what our world desperately needs right now is men, to step up and be who God called them to be, men of courage, you know, of conviction. I hammer on guys a lot here because guys have a lot placed upon them by God. We have a lot of responsibility just like Peter did. But God has promised to pour himself into us. And so if you're a guy here this morning and you want to aspire to some sort of leadership here in your home, at your job somewhere, I want you to stand. And I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, This morning, uh, I pray for the guys in this room. I pray pray that you make us simple men of simple faith who serve a great and loving God. I ask that you would take us and make us into the people that you intend us to be and that the world can begin to change for the better because of how you have poured into us as men. That we would be those who pour into others just as you pour into us. Ask that you would convict our hearts to see the places that you are calling us into leadership at. And that we would not shrink back from the call. That we would not deny, that we would not forsake. But that we would go forward. God, I ask with the men in this room right now that you would change their homes, their workplaces, this church. In this city and eventually this nation and world by what you call them to. Help us not to be people of fear but of people who rise up as yours and live for you. Amen.